Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday afternoon. Uh, I'm always running a little behind now. Um, not really. I had a chance to have the ladies' class there today. I'm able to arrange some of my thoughts. Um, so let's take a look at Parsha Bayesha. It was the week, of course, before Hanukkah. The beginning of the period in Klaistro, if you want to go that route. Today's podcast is being sponsored by Levi Druck and family, Rabbi Levi Druck, here in Baltimore, in one of the Chabad Shlichim downtown in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, which is not an easy place to live. And it's in honor of the Bar Mitzvah, let me see here, in honor of the Bar Mitzvah of Gavriel Noach Druck, that would be, I guess, his nephew, from Cancun. Right. So the father I know, I've met. Uh, so this is the so no, let's put it this way: Chabad, Baltimore is doing this in honor of the bar mitzvah in Chabad, Cancun, Mexico. May you grow to be a chosid yereshamayim and a lamdan by your cousins Labla, Moshe, Mendel, Mayor, Liba, and Sarah Druck from Baltimore. I mean, so uh, uh, it's nice because <laughs> the other one also is sponsored here. Uh, I ran in, and I could. Say I'm I'm gonna be discreet and say nothing now. Uh, I got some very interesting emails from other Chabad guys, but uh, now it's not the time to go into that. Let's instead take a look at um, Parshas Vayeshev. Okay, I want to thank the drug family at Parshas Vayeshev. As I mentioned before, Hanukkah is around the corner. Vayeshev, Mikates, Vayigesh. These are always the Parshas of Hanukkah. If you pay a rabbi enough money, you can figure out a connection between Parshish Korach and Hanukkah. You know, you can always put it together, but it's not so hard, as I mentioned before uh, in my class, that um, Hanukkah, from the historical perspective, is essentially a civil war. One set of Jews killing another, I repeat, torturing and killing another. Take a look at the Book of Maccabees, and you'll see details about the uh, the tortures that A inflicted on B and B inflicted on A. Um, now, they started it first, but that's what happened, excuse me. Um, and, of course, the beginning of serious killing of Jews in the Torah starts in this week's Parsha, because the brothers killed Yosef. Or at least they did their best. Let's put it this way. They threw him in a pit, as we all know. You throw somebody into a pit full of snakes, you're, you're killing them. Now, Hashkacha brought this to turn out that way, but you're killing them. Now, um, that's why we consider this the, the uh, what do you call it, the primal sin, the original sin of the Jewish people. And one of the things about the Jewish people, that we have this tremendous period, that's just who we are. We have tremendous kochos, no question about it. But it's always um, attenuated and sometimes uh, canceled by the unbelievable period that's among us. Uh, who was it? Churchill. One second here. Hold on. Churchill, who was always so epigrammatic, once said, and this is very, you know, all you rabbis out there, many sermons this week, 
you'll uh, Google Churchill, Winston Churchill, who's speaking about the Jews and the Greeks, mind you. The Jews and the Greeks. And he says, no two races have set such mark upon the world. In other words, the Jews and the Greeks, Yavon and Kleiser, left a tremendous Roshan in the world. Both have shown a capacity for survival in spite of unending perils and sufferings from external oppressors, matched only by their own ceaseless feuds, quarrels, and convulsions. Well, is that a partial violation? <laughs> okay. They tried to kill Yosef. They had reasons, but they tried to kill Yosef. But what strikes me, again, I'm just repeating what I said earlier today, um, from the human level, because I think what grips us, depending how you read the Chomish, of course, but I'm just sharing you what I'm thinking this year. Maybe another year I saw something else. There's uh, the unbelievable human being part of it. Because you plan a crime, but it never goes exactly the way you want it. I think we have three examples that suggest themselves in the last couple of parshas, which from the human being level are matched, matchless in uh, literature. Uh, you have the uh, Yaakov and Aesop story. You have the Dina and Shem story. And you have the brothers and Yaakov, the Yosef story, this is Pasha. <laughs> what do I mean? Consider when Rivka and Yaakov plot to steal the Bechorah from, you know, to fool uh, Yitzhak and get the blessing, what was the plan? Asaph was going to make peace with this? Or Asaph will kill Yaakov? Right? I guess they thought, Asaph will get over it. You may possibly argue that he did get over it. That's one way of reading by Yishlach. They hug and they kiss. They both had a million dollars. You know, Rivka was a remarkable person. She calculated knowing her two children. Okay. You know, I mean, there are psukim that Asim never forgot, but let it be. Now, the second case is the rape of Dina, where obviously Shechem figures a one night stand and then found out that it wasn't. But Tidbak Nashra Badina Maslaya. I spoke about it in the past. He fell in love with her. That's not usually what happened to people that he attacked and assaulted, but it happened in this case. As I said, you look at Arachim, he got he got mystically attached to her. So he fell for her. In that case, he came in that case he came to bitterly regret the way I'll use this word, his first date with Dina. Right? Because Hitaka saw she's unbelievable. He wanted to marry in the worst way. And he was ready to convert to Judaism, as you know. He circumcised the whole city. Okay? And so now he's kicking himself and saying, Why did I do this and that and the other? I thought, be like one of these girls they get involved with, and I just walk away. Now I see I'm head over heels over, and I ruined the possibilities for a normal relationship because of the nature of our first encounter. And you see he's going crazy and twisting and turning as hard as he can, sincerely, to try to make it good. And he says to the brothers, as we all know, Harbolai, Moa, Ramaton, anything you want me to do, I'll do. I'm so much in love with her. I'll meet Begayer, I'll Begayer my whole city, I'll give you a million dollars, I'll give you a billion dollars. You tell me this, I so regret what I did. I wish this happened another way. Obviously, at the time I did it, it never occurred to me. I, I didn't think through the long-term consequences. 
Never occurred to me that this wouldn't just be some other encounter. Now what can I do? And you know what I do, he basically miscalculated because it cost him the life of himself and his whole city. And the third case, which is just remarkable to me, is the story of this week's Parsha. Because the brothers killed Yosef, where they thought they did. Or something like that. They, they disappeared. It's not, you know, it's not clear from the Psukum. They, they sold him, whatever. Um, and they, he's gone forever. What about the father? He'll get over it. And he never got over it. They figured Yaakov has 13 children. You lose one. It's bad for a while. And then you move past it. You get over it. What was child mortality in the ancient world? Not that long ago, as a matter of fact. He has other children, grandchildren, right? Look at over it. He's still got Benyamin. And you and I know, He never got over it. So now here you are, Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Huda, and all the others. And they are from Jews. I mean, Kibbutz, they, they do have. I don't mean that in a cynical way. They didn't want the father to be in such unbelievable mental anguish such as he went on to have for the next decades. Because until he saw Yosef, he was in a tremendous Avelis. Okay? Tremendous Avelis. Ki Eireid el Bni Avel Shola. And what are they supposed to do? They got themselves into a corner. They can't say we lied. They can't say we lied. Now, to spare him the anguish, they should have said we lied, but I, but they didn't. So I guess they figured in for a penny, in for a pound. You can't do it. So it's unbelievable. They themselves, I mean, it's like a novel, you know? They themselves, every day, are paying. Imagine when they get together for Shachar, or Minicha, or Shabbos. And they see the father crying, you know, quite quietly. Whatever. And getting older, and this, and that, and the other. All the terrible sorrows. The argument's nefesh. That they were going to Was it really worth it? You know what I mean? Was it really worth it? To get rid of Yosef? To put the father through all this? They obviously didn't figure it would be like this. And so you see, you do something bad. And you don't think about the long-term consequences. What I mean by that is, you don't calculate properly what will come out of this. Uh, what do they say? You have to cheshven the mitzvah, can I get a ver or some, some language like that? Uh... And that makes a powerful story. You see, what's not told in the Parsha is sometimes more powerful than what is. You tell me what these Bnei Yaakov, who are great people, big tzaddikim. Let me ask you a question. Who's the bigger tzaddik? Yehuda Nasi or Yehuda or Levi? They're the Shvatim. That's what we hope. And yet, look what they did. And it can say nothing. Except later on, among themselves, Hashem Manachim, when things were bad. But until things are bad, you don't find them talking like that. Now, maybe they did, but I don't, you know, it doesn't say so. And so you have a tremendous story over here. Not written. The part that's there, that forms the background. Now, as for Yosef, we all know that there are holes in the story, knows why they report back or something like that. But I'll tell you what I thought this year. And I can only tell you my opinion. Uh, there are, I think, even certain that Yosef was Miyaish. 
I think there's some sikkim like that. The Hainu, once he was sold by the brothers, and the father never called him all the rest. The whole thing sounds like a certain yish. Hamadoni machu sel mitzrayim lepotifar sris parasar tabachim. And there's nobody coming after him. And Egypt is not that far away. And they sold him to a eunuch. Sris parasar tabachim. That means the eunuch bought him. And there are Midrashan, Chazals are saying that the eunuch bought him because he wanted Yosef for immoral purposes. Could be he wasn't a eunuch at the time and he became a eunuch like that. That's, there's Chazals like that. Or alternatively, he was a eunuch. So now Yosef finds himself as a slave. Although you see myself as some Lebanon over here. Yosef is a slave in Egypt. This foreshadows the slavery of the Jewish people in Egypt. But, you know, Yosef is not a regular slave. It doesn't say, I mean, you see the Hashkacha part is all the way through the story. It doesn't say he sold him as they easily could have for working in the plantations in Mississippi, for working in the salt mines of Egypt, the lime pits. You know, that's a major part of slavery also. Those guys work short lifespans, working like a dog. They get sick, they die. You know what that kind of slavery was like. Easily, Yosef could have sold for that. And I'll bet you that's what the brothers thought he was going to happen. They're selling him to slavery in Egypt, and he won't last a month. You understand what I'm saying? It's not exactly like the Nazis, because it wasn't. But it's pretty rough. But Hashem had other plans. And instead of becoming slave A, going that muscle, that route, Yosef ends up and slave B, high end, because he gets purchased, not by some guy who needed field hands, like I say, to work him to death on the plantation, but rather, for um, for the prime minister, some big macher in the house of Pharaoh. And immediately, this guy bought Yosef, Let's put the Medrash aside that he would try to be Mizanah with him. Let's put that aside. He saw Yosef, Yifei Marev, Yifei Tor, smart, and this, and that, and the other. Uh, uh, this, you could have slavery in the old days, not like in Mississippi. You could have slavery in the white slavery, uh, in which you ha- can, ha- if you have the talent, you can rise to a high position. In the government administration, whether the government of the government or the government of your master's estate, the CPA position, the personnel department position. I'm serious, I'm not being funny. You know, being a macher, because slavery is, is, is an economic institution, and if I can get more money out of you this way, why should I put you to waste you in here? I mentioned this morning, and I always mention, often mention my speeches, from a technical perspective, our great-great-grandparents 200 years ago and such in uh, places like Poland and Hungary technically were slaves of the nobles. Uh, they were slaves. They could do whatever they want with them. However, the nobles were too intelligent to waste a Jew working on a plantation or just like a peasant. From a bottom-line perspective, the nobleman says, yeah, I owned the 50 or 100 Jews in this town. But if I leave them alone, 
and Yankel starts this business, and Beryl starts that business, and Shmerel will, will cheat from the two and steal from them and start a third business. Kahina, Kahina. A lot of business and revenue will be generated. And if I take the 50 or 60 or 7% off the top, I'll end up making a lot more money than I would have made if they were just put on the road doing road work, or as I say, working in salt mines or Mississippi plantations. Growing cotton. Now they make more money for me. And so our ancestors, particularly when they lived in Europe, were always legally, by legal definition and classification, slaves of somebody, but it wasn't, but, but Pio didn't feel it. it. Wasn't a slave like the blacks in the South or the serfs. They weren't serfs. The Jews can never own land. That means they're not tied to the land. It's a very interesting fate that our ancestors had. And it's just, again, they were slaves, but not avodim la avodim, as the expression goes. They did well. Um, because it was the economic advantage of the people in charge. They just made intelligent use of the Jew. I've often said, and I spoke about this in Rochester a little bit, but I didn't go into detail. Uh, this is the time of the year where you have the Jews and the Greeks, whether that's historically exactly so, but putting that aside. And this is where you get the Apocrypha books and the Pseudepigrapha. And one of the most famous of the pseudepigrapha literature, which was written time by Shani, is the letter of Aristius to Philocrates, where he um, describes his version of how the Bible was translated into Greek, which is not the same one you find in the Gomorrah. The Gomorrah is a negative description. In the pseudepigrapha, it's a positive description. But the point I wanted to make was that he discusses the fate of the Jews who went to Egypt, Gold to Triumph, and by Shani time, and now I'm not talking about Bayesian time or before that. Not so many people know that when Alexander the Great died, wars broke out between his successors, the generals who carved up his empire. One of them was Ptolemy, who founded a dynasty of the Ptolemies, Ptolemy the first, Ptolemy the second, Ptolemy the third, all the way down. And this guy, the first guy, Ptolemy, Ptolemy Soter, in one of his wars captured Yushalayim. And he carried off 100,000 Jews, I repeat, 100,000 Jews, men, women, and children, to be slaves in Egypt. It's like a farcical repetition of the Golis Mitzrayim that he had in the time of the Chumash. And there were slaves there. But when he died and his successor became the king, Ptolemy II, Ptolemy Philadelphus, so that king, Cheshman, exactly what I just told you. Why am I wasting all these Jews working in the salt mines and stuff like that. That's a waste of a good Jew. And so what he did was, it says in the book of Aristius, the king himself believed in slavery. He's not going to do emancipation proclamation, but he purchased all the Jewish slaves from their owners. That's what he did. He went, anybody still alive, you don't need a Jew, I'll buy him. And then he let him alone. He said, stay in Egypt and do your Jew thing. Figuring correctly, they'd all go into business, and if he takes the take it off the top, he'll end up with a lot more money than he would have gotten from them working in the salt mines. The Kachava, the Jews then settled in Egypt, which had a lot of economic possibilities because of the Nile River, because of the Mediterranean, and because of many other factors. And the Jews ended up doing very well and creating the Jewish community of Alexandria. You'll remember in the Gemara, they had that big shoal, you had to wave the flag and all that. 
that's a tiny example of the fact that the Jews did well. And with a much bigger push to his economy from the Jews that he freed, I repeat, not freed like Abraham Lincoln, he freed, bought him and set him free. Because then he said, I guess, listen, everybody in this kingdom is to a degree my servant anyway. This way I'll get more money out of my Jews. So Yosef ended up in that kind of situation. By the way, I think, I don't know, you can't know. But we always have the question, how come 80% didn't want to leave Egypt? And only one for it. Later on in the time of Parsha B'Shalach, why, why only 20% want to leave? It could be. It's logical, I don't know. Maybe the 20% who left were talking the ones who worked in the salt mines. You know, in the, in the lime pits. The 80% were the Jews who by the time you get 200 and some years in Egypt... They worked their way up to a ladder, and now they were like Joseph's, meaning this guy ran the estate for this Egyptian, and that guy was the CPA in charge of this Egyptian's business. This guy was in charge of the personnel for the third guy stuff. No, they lived a good life, relatively speaking. Maybe they were not the field hands, but the house slaves, to use American expression. Oh, that's not a good expression either, because what I'm describing did not happen in the South. By and large, they tried to prevent the black slaves from even learning how to read and write. So that they wouldn't escape. Now, by these rebellion, that's not the way it was with the white slavery in the time of the Bible and elsewhere. And you had many slaves that I said before became, you know, um, high machers, although they belonged to somebody. Joseph is a good example of that. And you see the Ashkocha Pratis, the brothers probably figured to be sold for a slave, worked to death in some plantation, but it so happened that he got bought, purchased by a different buyer, by Potiphar. Now, here's the question. We all know the story, obviously, of Aishas Potiphar. I know that. And it says, at least the Chazals say, you know, he wanted to do it in the end. Because she hit on him, she hit on him, she hit on him. Right? I don't have it in front of me, but what is it by he could die love young, young? Right? So she was constantly chaperoning him. Especially if her husband was a Saurus, a eunuch. But probably she was that type. And let's put it this way. Prost she was. You know, I mean, Prost she is. <laughs> let's go over here. No, no uh, circumlocutions over here. Now, um, where was Yosef? Here's a question I'm going to raise. So what's the story with Yosef? What's this Matzah Baruch? There are two ways of approaching the story. Now, I'll be honest with you, I never thought about it until this year. But that's the advantage of having to give a podcast. Sometimes it makes you think. And I'll tell you what I mean. When Yosef was thrown by his brothers in the pit, he must have been horrified. Obviously. And when he's taken up and sold as a slave, it's worse. And when he ended up being purchased by some eunuch and so forth and so on, it's the worst. Now, was he from... Here's my point. Did Yosef give up? Which would be totally understandable if he did. Or do you say, no, Yosef was a hero? And in all vicissitudes, he was always stark. Of course, that's totally possible also. 
we all know the story that he was going to give in, but then before he was going to yield to her temptations, to her constant urgings, he was going to do it. Listen, because the guy, I mean, he was a normal guy. The guy was not gay. I mean, the whole point of the story is to tell you the reason we in the firm world try to avoid all these social situations and the reason we're so prudish, especially by the standards of contemporary American society, they would make fun of us is because we're trying to avoid Asia's Potiphar situations in which it's totally normal that a guy would give in. I'll say again, wasn't gay. It's going to happen. This is a big claw with the Gemara. Ain't up a trip rice. Look at the Rambam. At the end of the hills, Kedush, I think, whatever it is, he He says, even the Gedol Yisrael used to say, stay with me, I don't want to be alone with anybody. Gedol Yisrael, I'm talking about, you know, Tanoim um, run. There are stories in the Gemara that go to the trouble of telling you, in which they said, you know, don't leave me alone. I don't want to be in this situation and that situation. Now, to tell you the truth, it boggles the mind. You tell me the Vilna Gon or the Baal Shem Tov or somebody that can't be alone with somebody? Vervais. You see? This is, this is not something. The whole point of the Talmudic literature is in a Patrimus You You take nothing for granted. And if it could happen to yours, it could happen to anybody. That kind of work. So is it a shot that he was a firm guy, but he found himself in a situation of temptation. Because she kept hitting on him day after day. And he cracked. I mean, let's put it this way. You can't imagine, like I said before, the Nerd Behuda, the Ramah, the Rambam, somebody hitting on him day and day. They wouldn't allow themselves to be in such a situation. If such a thing happened, maybe they would crack. LMI, they wouldn't put themselves in such a situation. But in the case of Yosef, it was beyond his control. He was a slave. He had to do what they told him. He found himself in her company all the time. You know, he belonged to her household, so he had no choice. You know, that's the, that's the point of the story. Now, here's the thing. So maybe he was from all the way through, but he found himself overwhelmed by circumstances beyond his control. And after a while, it's like drip, 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 you know, the warnings of the stone, it cracked the stone. And therefore, Vayovo Baisalasos Malachti was going to give in. And at the last minute, he had, a, he had an attack of conscience. You know, he saw a picture of his father, and he said, I cannot do this, unworthy. You understand? And he backed off. I think that's usually the way that people read the story. It's also, by the way, there's always a great, there's a, what was it, the picture of his father? I mean, um, I don't know if you have a brisk meal coming up this week. I know it's from previous times. You know who's got a vort for every, a brisk meal for every uh, parsha? The Kli Yucker and the Safer, uh, what's it called? The Tira. Ololos Ephraim. You know, he was the greatest speaker of the early 17th century. And, you know, he published a book like uh, Cheetah Books for Rabbis for Speeches. And he's got, you know, one, for example, for every Shevbrach is one for every uh, bris. And Shalom Zachar and whatever, things like that. And I remember the one in this week's Parsha. What was it in this Damlo Dmus Duke Nishalavi? He's the Brits Mila itself. He saw the Brits Mila that that was the Dmus Duke Nishalavi, which is a nice word. I'm not sure you can say a big company exactly. No, it depends. But it's a good word. Anyway, so that's one way of reading the story. And now I'll give you another way of reading the story. 
which is really dramatic. Yosef is shocked by his treatment, especially he's being sold as a slave. Nothing happens. He gets picked up by this Gaisha guy, Potiphar, especially if the Razal write that Potiphar came on to him and tried to hit on him, and so forth. They find himself in a nightmare, and if we collapse, I'm talking about spiritually, he said, the heck with this, you know? This is my new life. And Adraba, because of this, because he gave up Yiddishkeit, which is completely understandable, that's why he find favor in the eyes of the master. You know, he just went along with what Egyptians wanted to do. And because of this, he was not aloof from everybody else. And because he was not aloof from everybody else, that's why she hit on him. The king? Um, and then, and being that he was, let's put it this way, and then he was going to do it. He was going to do it. This put him in a crisis. And in the moment of the crisis, and then he said, I guess, what have I let myself fall into? How low have I have I sunk? I've let myself go loose. That I could even be in such a matzah. And I'm returning to Yiddishkeit. You understand? In other words, he thought of his father for the first time, perhaps. Because <laughs> otherwise, why do you only think of the father now? Wasn't he kidnapped? Wasn't he thinking about home sweet home every day? No, he put it out of his mind. Only now, in the moment of crisis, Dieter Ho'otov threw a fastball, you know, curveball, and the Zamlod Musnukness all of it. And he said, Where am I holding? So, this is very interesting. You find in the history of a lot of people that there's a certain crisis which can go this way or that way. The crisis can result in the person going off the terror, but the crisis can also result in the person getting back on the terror. That's my point. Right? And in the case of Yosef, this was the crisis. And he overcame it. This is why he said Sadiq. And Yosef at Sadiq, you know. And from then he's a transformed person. Right? And uh, indeed, the result is that he is transferred from the house of Potiphar, as we all know the story, into the VIP prison, where he now is in daily contact with people who at least have a possibility of getting him out of there, getting him a pardon. When he was thrown into the prison, and I've said many times in the past, if you know the history of prisons, which most people do not, you know that in earlier times, there was no such thing as jail as a place of punishment. Jail was, they used to, in order to punish you for a crime, they would do stuff to you, like maim you, or beat you up, or whip you, or things like that. And then you went home. Uh, They're not paying for you three meals a day and all that. Jails were for political prisoners. The king, for whatever reason, wants to keep somebody in ice. There are a thousand reasons for that. So that's a that's a, a jail. That's what it says in our parsha. I think that's the wordy. So they put him in the royal prison. So for rejecting her and getting back on the derech. Quote unquote. Not only did he not get killed by his master, but which he would have expected, 
But he gets put actually in a place where a guy like him is able to uh, to be in contact with VIPs who might get him out of there. And that, of course, is what happened. Now, I know all the stories about the fact he shouldn't have believed the butler, he shouldn't have believed the baker, you know, and so forth. I know all that. But the Pashim shot of that is how he got out of there. You know what I'm saying? Suppose Yosef would have been in the salt mines like I said before. Or in some regular situation where for coming on to the master's wife, they just whipped him 350 times, which they usually do junk like that. You can see these slave movies or whatever, but they're true. In which case his body would have been a wreck. You know, I mean, the guy would have been in bad shape. Nothing happened to him. Not a hand was laid on him. You see, it's unbelievable. Instead, he gets put in a place where lawyers would like to be because these are the guys that go up in the future. In other words, Yosef becomes like the Jewish guy to get sent to one of these Allentown, Allensward, whatever they call it, one of these jails, in which your roommate are two or three or four or five guys, and each one's a zillionaire, like Madoff, and they're all in jail for four or five years. You play your cards right. When you all get out, you're going to become the lawyer for the next Madoff. You see? That's that's how to look at it. And Yosef, we already told at the beginning of the story, had a talent for dreams, and therefore he's going to use the interpretation of dreams as his way out of jail. That's the push of shot. In which case, you see that Yosef, when he lost faith, was going down, down, down. I was simply sold in the house of Potiphar. When he regained his faith, all of a sudden this world turned around and he went up, up, up. He went Michael Achoyo. He went to the jail, then he became the head of the jail, as it says over there. The Sar Sar put him in charge. Then he met the butler and the baker, and the rest is history. So you see the striking patterns over here. There's a lot more to talk about. I don't overstay my welcome. Uh, the whole story of Yosef in Egypt is an interesting foreshadowing of the Jew in Gaulus. Because the Jews, by and large, in the history of the Gaulus, were in Gaulus. They had tough times. But they weren't in salt mines, were they? Our ancestors. Like I said before, that would have been, that was viewed as the waste of a good Jew. And so like Yosef, they were helpless and they weren't in another person's land and they were avodim. But not that kind of avodim. Uh, only in Egypt this is Abdul before. The rest of history is much more complex. But that's already a long lecture. And I don't want to do that. So once again, I'll close this down by bringing out, thinking about all these uh, themes, which I think are mega themes. And really, if you, if you do your homework, you can see how they come out, connect with Hanukkah idea. And uh, with that, I want to thank once again Rabbi Levi Drucker family here in Baltimore for sponsoring this week. And they shall have a slacha and Mazdov the Bar Mitzvah boy down in Mexico. And we have a number of people who write to me from time to time from Mexico, but not from Cancun. Only Rabbi Truck writes from Cancun. The others are in different places, mostly around Mexico City. But somebody else wrote me the other day from a place I don't remember. I don't, I, I've never heard of. <laughs> anyway, uh, everybody should have a fair Hanukkah and uh, uh, have a good shop. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, 
please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.